0: My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 4, Episode 1 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. This happened back in 2004 in northern Wisconsin. I was 16 at the time and out hunting deer with my dad and a friend of his named Frank. I do remember this day like it was yesterday. The dialogue isn't word for word, but the idea of it is 100% accurate. As a side note, this was one day after eight people were shot less than two hours away from my location. My dad and I had a few stands over an area of maybe three quarters of a mile. He had been hunting there for at least 10 years, and I had been going with him since I was 5. Up until the age 12, legal age to hunt with a rifle, I had just been tagging along. This particular morning, we walked to the first stand. It was about 5 a.m., so still dark outside. I got situated, and my dad and Frank went off to our other two stands over a ridge, maybe another 500 to 600 yards off. Sitting there in the dark is always a little eerie. Not long after Dad and Frank left, I saw a flashlight from the general direction of where they headed, maybe 200 yards away, roughly moving in my direction. I figured they just forgot something from the truck, so I radioed to see what they were doing. We're sitting in my stand. Frank is about to head over to the other one, he says. Obviously, this flashlight is someone else. This isn't super uncommon and isn't really a big deal. Those woods get crowded sometimes, and there's a spot to park in that general direction. I turned on my light so that the hunter could see that there is someone there. He stops. I see the light turn and go in a different direction. No big deal. I end up dozing off while it's still dark out. When I wake up, the sun is out. It's around 8 a.m. I sit there for a bit and radio my dad to see if he's heard or seen anything moving. Nothing yet. Just a couple of gunshots off in the distance is all. I get up, and I go for a slow walk to get my blood moving a bit. Not far, maybe 30 yards out and back, trying not to make a sound. I come back to my stand, sit down, and take a real good look around. Nothing really going on. I finally look to my left, where I had seen the flashlight before, and I see orange. For anyone unfamiliar, hunters have to wear blaze orange during gun season. I radio my dad and Frank to see if either one of them were moving around. Dad says no. I hear nothing from Frank. I grab the binoculars out of my backpack to see if it's Frank. It's definitely not. The guy is looking at me through his scope, rifle aimed directly at me. This is a huge no-no. Massive rule we all learn in Hunter's education. Never point your rifle at something you don't intend to shoot. Dumb people still do it, though. It's few and far between, but it happens. This is why normal people use binoculars. My first thought, what a fucking dickbag. Thing is, even with me looking at him, he doesn't put his gun down. Now I start to panic, thinking I'm going to be the next hunting murder victim. I slowly grab my rifle, get up staying behind as many trees as I can, walked down a little path to the side of my stand. My stand was on this kind of little knoll on the side of a much larger hill. I radio my dad and I tell him what's up. He tells me to sit tight and stay out of sight. Obviously, as a 16-year-old, I couldn't do that and had to keep looking. Every time I looked, the guy was still aiming in my direction but was always standing in a different spot like i would look go back to hiding look again and he would be 30 yards from where he was the last time about 10 minutes of this goes by when my dad radios me how you doing bud looking back he was very obviously trying to keep me calm at the time I thought he just wasn't taking me seriously. He's still there, but he keeps moving. I don't know what his problem is, Dad. Dad told me just to keep hidden, and he'll figure it out, that he'll be coming up near him in a minute or two. That's when I hear a shot. I lost my shit trying to get a hold of my dad. Did he just get shot? Where the fuck is he? Did he have to shoot the guy? What's going on? I sit there for maybe two to three minutes. It felt like hours. All right, come on out and head towards the stand, I hear on the radio. I peek up over the little knoll I was behind, and I see my dad waving from along the ridge the random guy had been on. I make the trek on over to see him and what happened. It turns out Frank was feeling a little restless and took a little stroll and ended up on the other side of that particular ridge that the stranger was on, not knowing that he was there. He had knocked his radio battery loose while he was getting situated earlier in the morning and had no idea anything was going on. The shot I heard was actually Frank shooting a deer. Dad said as soon as Frank shot, the guy walked off, away from us, towards the logging road. We helped Frank out with the deer and decided to call it an early day. Although I was extremely nervous, the rest of the week went on with no incidents. So dumbass stranger in the woods with no common sense, let's never meet. This story gives me the chills and is the sole reason why I'm terrified of using public restrooms. I was at an indoor sports center with my family. My family and I were there to support and cheer on my brother, who was playing soccer. I was sitting in the stands and told my mom that I had to go to the restroom. She immediately grabbed my hand and was ready to go with me. I told my mom I wanted to go alone— And she quickly responded and said, Are you sure? With a surprised look on her face. This is an important detail because it highlights how young I was. I can't remember my exact age. However, I remember that this was my first time asking to go to the public bathroom alone without my mom holding my hand or making sure that I got there and back safely. Anyways, this was a big step for me and my mom trusted me and let me go ahead without her. So here's the most creepy and traumatizing part of this story. I walk into the bathroom. It's extremely quiet considering that there's nobody in close proximity. So quiet that you could hear a pin drop. There's four stalls. I immediately go into one of the stalls. I pull down my pants, sit on the toilet, and start to go. I then hear the slightest yet subtle noise. I know exactly where the noise is located. Directly above me. Immediately, I feel like something is off and that I'm not alone. I felt the wave of darkness rush through me. My head slowly looks up towards the noise. And I see a man. A man is looking directly at me. He's in the vent. The one that's directly above me in the toilet that I'm sitting on. However, the vent cover is completely removed. He's looking through an empty square hole in the ceiling. He clearly removed it himself. It made his view of me clearly visible. The man is looking down at me. No clear expression on his face, but he doesn't move. We lock eyes. Then I look away from this man and towards the door. There's two options that run through my child mind. One, pretend I don't see him. Maybe he'll believe me if I act casual. Two, run. I decide to go with option one. I think to myself and say, okay, just act natural. It's going to be okay. Remain calm. Then I think to myself, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of here. I then open the door and run for my life. I get out of the bathroom and run down the empty hallways to get away. Regretfully, I didn't tell my mom or anyone else about the incident. Once I got back to the soccer field, my mom asked, how did it go? With so much excitement in her voice. I was in such tremendous shock that the only thing I could respond with was, good, good. My mom kissed me on the forehead and was proud of me. Not telling anyone about this is hands down my biggest regret. The creep got away with watching me, and likely many other girls and women. I should have told my mom, who would have contacted the police, who could have caught this creep. Maybe I was too young and immature to fully understand what had happened. I don't know, but this breaks my heart, and I didn't tell a soul. Creepy man who traumatized a young girl, an innocent child. I hope we never meet again. When I was 16, I would nanny for two boys, Brandon and Randy. Randy had mental health problems. However, he was a sweetheart but you could tell something was off by the way that he walked and moved his hands. They had a dog, Gunner, that was an Akita and Yellow Lab mix. The dog was huge and protective. I watched the kids every other week, all day, Monday through Friday. Gunner watched everything that I did for the first week. I had to gain this dog's trust. That first week with the dog made me uneasy because... If I was with the kids and they'd start being loud and rambunctious, he would get between me and the boys and start growling. Gunner, however, learned to trust me rather quick. There are two times that Gunner saved our lives. One, the boys lived in a rough neighborhood, not scary, just rough around the edges. We went for a walk to the playground a couple of blocks away, and a white van slows down by us. There was a bunch of guys yelling at us from the window, saying inappropriate things to me, I'm a female, and calling Randy horrible names because of his condition. Just ignore them, guys, I said in a hushed voice as I shifted and put myself and Gunner between them and the kids. Gunner didn't take his eyes off the van full of them. The tension pulled the fur on his back straight up, signaling to us that he was in protective mode. As the men kept yelling at us, I pulled my phone out and started dialing 911. But I didn't hit send before Brandon started yelling back to defend his brother. Then everything happened so fast. The slider back door to the van opened. Two of the men jumped out. Run! I remember screaming at the boys just as Gunner ripped himself free from my grip on his leash. Everyone started running but me. The boys sprinted home. The dog sprinted towards the van, and I frantically tried dialing 911. Gunner chased the men back into the van, nearly grabbing the leg of one man as they sped off. Gunner received a lot of treats and praise when we returned home. Story two. This one really freaks me out. I was allowed to have friends stop by since I practically lived there, and the boys liked hanging out with my wholesome teenage friends. If it were a male, though, I'd have to go outside and hug them where Gunner could see and talk to them for a few minutes on the porch. Gunner would assess them. Normally, he let them inside without any trouble after that. But there was one friend that he would not let inside without coaxing. Gunner would never bite anyone. Unless he was actually attacked. For context, one day, a man came to the door, knocked, and said he had to drop something off for their mom who was supposedly expecting it. We could see through the window that he seemed like a gentleman and was very nice, but as I approached the door, Gunner cut me off. He started barking at the door insanely. His back stood higher than my hips. At the time, I was a small girl. And the dog just forced me back. Gunner literally prevented me from being able to reach the doorknob. He was gentle with me, but forceful. I yelled back to the guy to leave whatever it was on the porch, but he seemed insistent, saying things like, can you really not just unlock the door for a minute? Come on, Randy knows me. But I told him that I physically couldn't get past the door. The man immediately got weird and said, no, that's not necessary, I'll come back another time, and rushed off. Anyway, the guy had some distinct features, and when I described him to the mom later, she informed me that she had no idea who he was, and she wasn't expecting anything. We never found out who he was, but he also never came back. So thanks, Gunner and let's not meet White Van and Creepy-Not-Delivery-Man. I'm going to tell you the story of a terrifying old creep that has stalked me since I was 16 years old. I'm currently 20, I'm a female, so to set the scene, I'm an average height, average size, 20-year-old female. I've been told I'm very approachable and perhaps too nice to strangers. I sometimes just don't have the heart to tell people to leave me alone, when I definitely should. Obviously, I'm not going to give specific details, but I worked in a restaurant which was inside a bigger shopping center, My stalker, an old man named Eric, worked inside the actual shopping center itself, and not the store inside, like me. When I was 16 and started the job, I was quite timid and awkward, and I would let anyone say pretty much anything to me. I didn't quite know what to say when older customers or other employees would make inappropriate comments to me. I would simply just laugh off whatever people would say, and not respond. In my 16-year-old mind, this was a lot easier to handle. I had one other friend at my job who was my age, and her name was Jessica. Jessica worked there for longer than I had, and one day she asked me if I heard of this guy who worked in the shopping center named Eric. Jessica described Eric as very strange. She didn't describe him as frightening or unsettling or even someone to be afraid of, just as a very eccentric person. She and other employees would laugh at his odd sayings and awkward behavior. Jessica has also told me that Eric had brought her a present on Valentine's Day. Chocolate. Anyone would think that this was just friendly behavior or harmless flirting. If he wasn't 50-something years old, bringing chocolates to a 16-year-old girl he barely knows. I began to see for myself that Eric wasn't just an innocent old man with a slight crush. He had other intentions. The first time I remember Eric approaching me was when I was filling up a machine near the entrance of my work. The machine was out of view of all the other employees, and the restaurant was empty, so this was pretty much the perfect time for a creep to approach without being seen. Eric wasn't supposed to enter my place of work when he was working at the shopping center, so he had deliberately gone out of his way to come speak to me. To describe his appearance, he's your typical creepy old loner. He was gaunt, had gray hair with bald patches, and had beady little eyes which never left yours, and I can't get them out of my head till this day. Eric must have snuck up on me as I looked up and he was standing right next to me a little too close. I could feel his breath on my cheek. My name is Lucy. Eric asked me, Lucy, are you married? He almost giggled after he asked me this. He had a smirk on his face, which made me feel as if he were trying to pretend that he thought I was older than I was. And at 16, I looked 16. Eric liked to ask me questions that he already knew the answers to, just to see what my reaction would be letting me know in his own way that he had been looking up information about me on social media. He would do this frequently. I began to lock on to the fact that Eric had been going a little further than just approaching me at work, and instead stalking my social media accounts in the weeks following this first encounter, such as Twitter and Instagram, when he began asking me very specific questions about things I had posted about in the days before. For example, I had posted on Instagram about a tattoo that I got, which was an homage to my favorite band. I was serving a customer one day, only to be interrupted by a shrill but quiet voice. It was Eric. His eyes were huge, and he had a look of pure excitement, but also menace on his face. He had yet again entered my workplace when he was not supposed to, just to talk to me. He asked me, Lucy, what's your favorite song from that band? Eric relished in my discomfort. You could see by my reaction that I was locking on to the fact that he had been viewing my personal social media, and the thought of that made my blood run cold. I felt disgusted, violated. The tattoo I had gotten was covered by my work uniform, so the only way that he could have seen it was if he were going through my Instagram page. This creeped me out majorly, but somehow I just forced myself to forget all about it and carried on working. Over the course of a few months, Eric would come into my workplace more and more frequently, asking me bizarre questions and still reciting back to me things that I had tweeted about or posted on Instagram. Every time I would see him, I would get visibly uncomfortable. And he liked this. This was what he wanted. All the while this was happening, Jessica approached me and let me know that Eric had followed her in his car on her walk home from work, slowing down to ask her where she lived. I had also been told other disturbing news about Eric from multiple different people. It seemed as if he was becoming more invested in whatever his intentions were towards me and Jessica. News had traveled to one of my managers about Eric's unsettling actions toward me, and the manager informed me that a few years ago, Eric was rumored to have followed a young girl who used to work for our restaurant into a toilet. Things didn't quite make sense to me. He was known for being a creep, yet still employed at the shopping center. On one hand, I was glad to know I wasn't just creeped out for no reason, but on the other hand... I was frightened as he'd been doing this for years, yet no one had stopped him. Anyways, there was a woman who worked at the same place as me called Rebecca, and she had some sort of disability which caused her to befriend and be trusting to people without knowing anything about them. It seems that Eric took advantage of her, and he had asked her for her phone number. She gave it to him. Rebecca had shown me her texts with Eric. He had texted her things like, Rebecca, are you alone? And Rebecca, are you sat on the bus alone? But the most unsettling part of it all was the text from Eric that read, Rebecca, could you please let me know any information on the girls that work at the store? I was stunned. This was quite slowly turning into a nightmare. I was constantly questioning why this old man was so hell on finding out everything to do with my life. Why me? He had gone out of his way to source information about me through a vulnerable person that I worked with, and I was scared that he was going to go further. Again, this creeped me out, but still, for some reason, I forgot about it and carried on with my life which was very hectic at the time. And in a way, I'm grateful that I didn't have time to dwell on Eric's growing obsession. However, this was something I wouldn't be able to ignore forever, as Eric began inserting himself into my life in ways that I couldn't just ignore or brush off. One night, I was watching the movie Greece with my family. And I must have tweeted something stupid, like Greece is my favorite film, because it is a great film. Anyways. The morning after my tweet, Eric approaches me in his usual way and utters, Do you like the film Grease, Lucy? The same usual smirk lit up his face, and the same usual wave of disgust washed over me. He was really making it a point to let me know he was watching me. I tried to carry on with my day, but spent the entirety of my shift feeling shaken up. To someone reading this story, it may not seem so unsettling to you as it did to me at the time, but when someone is going out of their way to make sure you know they know information about you, you spend every waking hour thinking about what they plan to do with this information and why they insist on taunting you with this knowledge. The very second I clocked out of work and got into my car, my phone went off. This was a notification For PayPal, I clicked this notification to see that I had received $3 from Eric Stanley, and the note attached read, To Lucy, grace is my favorite word, from Eric. He literally found my PayPal account and sent me $3 with a quote from the movie attached to it. If this wasn't crazy enough, In the days following, I received a string of anonymous calls, incessant calls, one after the other. I was in floods of tears and ended up having a huge panic attack. I felt like there was no escape. My phone rang and rang and rang all night. I had to turn it off to get away. Even when I turned my phone back on, all the calls just continued, and every time my phone would ring, my head felt like it was being impaled with the sharpest knife in the world. I was on complete edge. The phone calls that I did answer were just someone breathing into the phone, making a point to breathe heavy. I swear that they were trying to sound like they were, well, you know, which sickened me. I had no proof that this was Eric, but it wasn't hard to put two and two together after all of the lengths that he had gone to in order to track down my personal information. He had found my PayPal address, my phone number, and all of my social media accounts. What was stopping him from finding out where I live, breaking in, hurting me or my family? That night, I had horrific dreams in which he chased me around the house and taunted me for hours. I still have similar dreams and struggle to sleep without my boyfriend present. As I'm scared, he's standing right outside my door to this day. I reported Eric to my manager's and they passed my complaint to the managers of the shopping center. At this point, I was genuinely scared for my safety. Multiple girls added to my statement and added details of times that they had witnessed Eric's unsettling behavior, or times that he had been inappropriate with them. Eric had been cautioned by the shopping center's management, yet nothing was done, except the fact that he was warned not to talk to me. Eric found ways around the no-talking-to-Lucy rule. He would make animal noises at me when he would see me, like a monkey or a dog, or any bizarre noise that would get my attention. I think that he just wanted me to think that he had outsmarted me, found a way around the rules. After this, I stopped working at the restaurant as a full-time job, and I saw Eric less and less, which was obviously great for me. I moved cities as I went away for university and made new friends, which distracted me from my old life in my hometown. I still thought about Eric every now and then, and when I focus on it a little too long, I can't be alone out of fear that he's still keeping tabs on me. A thought that terrifies me. After moving away, I started a new life. I forgot all about the twisted little man who used to obsess over me at my job. I forgot that he even existed. But I was soon going to remember. On Christmas Day, I was back home in my hometown with my parents. My phone buzzed, and I expected it to be another message from a friend or a family member. But it was wrong. I received a notification from PayPal, and it was the exact same amount of three dollars only not from Eric this time, but from a girl whose name I didn't recognize at all. I opened the PayPal app only to see a note attached. The note read, Sending on behalf of Eric. My blood ran cold again. I had forgotten all about this man and all that he had done to me to make me feel unsafe and unsettled. And here he was again, antagonizing me, yet this time doing it through other people, perhaps his way of telling me that him being banned from talking to me himself won't stop him from entering my world. I threw my phone down on the couch and spent the night drinking with my family, until I forgot about the notification. I probably should have told someone about it, but I just wanted to do as much as I could to block him out. I didn't want him to control me anymore, and since I haven't seen or heard anything from him, I want it to stay that way. I think Eric still works at the shopping center, and lives local to me. I avoid my old workplace, so I don't have to see him, and he doesn't have to see me. So, to the creepy, beady-eyed freak that made me live in fear, let's not meet again. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Let's Not Meet, a true Horror podcast. This week you have heard... Idiot Hunter in the Woods by Reddit user SirSillyPants. Man Watches Me from the Vent by Reddit user Kelso46. Dog Days by Reddit user QueenSuper. And finally, Grease is the Word by Reddit user Kalig233. The stories you have heard this week were recorded with permission of their respected authors. If you'd like to hear your story on the show, please email let's not meet stories at gmail.com. If you have any questions, email me at let's not meet podcast at gmail.com. If you're looking for more bonus content, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast for all of the bonus episodes and content. I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet.